want to thank Wade Stotts for being our guest worship leader this morning. Appreciate that. Thank you, team. As always, Happy New Year to all of you this morning. It's good to uh, be able to come and look at God's Word with you together today. Turn with me in your Bible, if you have one, to Colossians. We're looking into a passage of Scripture today that I think will be appropriate for a new year. Colossians chapter 3, it's found in the Pew Bible there before you on page 1253, 1253. While you're turning to Colossians 3, 12-17, this is really the first opportunity I've had since it was announced that I'm going to be retiring in uh, a few weeks. And so I thought I would speak to that. Some of you have asked me questions about that, and I just wanted to make sure that I had communicated adequately. But uh, yeah, I turned 65 in mid-January, and it has been for some time my plan when I turned 65 to uh, stop doing the work of a pastor here at UPC. And so it's kind of a significant turning point in my life. And you'll see that I've chosen a passage of scripture that I want to apply to myself, even as I apply it to you. But, um, but yeah, my last Sunday is going to be February the 10th. We've decided that now, so that's the plan. Uh, but know that I'm not really retiring. I didn't plan to just stop, you know, doing kingdom work. Uh, in fact, I have a position already at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Orlando. So we're staying put, and I'm going to be serving in a few capacities there at RTS. I'll continue to teach a couple of classes that I've been teaching. I will be continuing the role of Director of Field Education over there. So if any of you are seminary students, uh, my part of my job is to care for you and mentor you. Um, also, I plan to write another book. I've got a few ideas going around in my head right now, so I want to do that. And I definitely want to travel with my wife and see our children in various cities. So that's the plan. But uh, another question that many have asked is what we're going to do as far as worship is concerned. Uh, our plan is to continue making UPC our church home. We uh, do not think you are a congregation. You are our friends. You are our church family. And we need you just as much as we need the Lord almost. So I just want to say, and I I will say this many, many times, but I thought I would take the opportunity to thank you for making the last 18 years of my life such a rich experience of the love and grace of of God. Uh, It's been amazing. And I'm just looking forward to the next chapter. A lot of it is a little little fuzzy. Um, We will, after February 10th, take a little break. You won't see us around for a while. We need to get used to our new season of life. You need to get used to not, you know, looking at me as your pastor anymore. Uh, so it'll be a change. And that's why I chose this passage of, the, uh, of, of Scripture today, because we're going through changes. So uh, that's the plan. I hope if that doesn't cover all your questions, you'll ask me. But I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what God's going to do in my life in the future, in my wife's life, and in the life of UPC as you continue to go forward in serving and glorifying the Lord here in this part of his world. Okay? Colossians 3. Let's look at it. 
Chapter 3 of Colossians 12 through 17. Hear God's word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture that addresses so many things that we meet every day in our lives. And so we ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll come now and speak to us and make this passage clear, apply it deeply into my life and into the lives of my brothers and sisters here at UPC. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When you think of New York City, what comes to mind? I love going to New York City. Some of you have traveled there often, I'm sure. Skyscrapers, right? The Empire State Building, Chrysler Building, the new World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. Uh, Famous places like Broadway and Times Square and Wall Street, the Fifth Avenue, the Statue of Liberty, the UN Building, Grand Central Station, and many, many more. Double-decker tour buses, you see a lot of them. Yellow taxis, a lot of those too. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade perhaps comes to mind when you think of New York. And of course, masses of people of every social strata and ethnicity. Horns constantly blaring, shouting, pushing, shoving, getting ahead, getting lost, getting mugged. Um, And of course, New York City will always be linked to the tragedy of 9-11. But in the center... In the center of Manhattan are 843 acres of peace and beauty. It's called Central Park. And now I know there is the occasional crime in Central Park, but most of the time, Central Park sits in calm contrast to the loudness and the rancor and the craziness that is New York City. There's music in Central Park. There's a zoo in Central Park. There's a beautiful lake where you can row a boat or a kayak in Central Park. You can ice skate there. There are playgrounds for kids. There's art and sculpture scattered throughout and beautiful bridges in the park. People are painting and reading and running and walking and talking with each other and playing chess and playing music. There's a big carousel in Central Park. You know, uh, Central Park was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted and his partner, Calvert Vaugh. Um, here's what Frederick Olmsted had to say. It's on the screen. He wrote about Central Park and he said, 
It is one of the great purposes of the park to supply to the hundreds of thousands of tired workers who have no opportunity to spend their summers in the country a specimen of God's handiwork that shall be to them what a month or two in the White Mountains or the Adirondacks is to those in easier circumstances. That was his vision for this beautiful park that he designed. A specimen, he says, of God's handiwork, like spending a month or two in the Adirondacks. You don't need me to tell you that the world today in which we live is filled with noise and division and trouble and hatred. Think of what we've been through this past year. There have been several mass shootings, one down in Parkland, Florida, one in Santa Fe, one in Pittsburgh, and several others elsewhere. Think of the divisiveness that we've experienced this year in our country, the divisiveness of the midterm elections, the rancor over immigration and the Kavanaugh hearings, the persecution of Christians, as Ralph prayed for in other parts of the world, particularly in China. So our world is a place of confusion and chaos and conflict feuding and fighting and oppression and injustice. But in the midst of the strife and the sadness of our world stands one place meant to be, to borrow from Olmsted, a specimen of God's handiwork, a place where people actually love each other and live and work together in harmony, a place designed to reflect the very character and nature of God himself. And that place, of course, is the church. Verse 15 of our text today says to let the peace of Christ rule. That word rule means to let it govern or hold sway in our hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So we are to be a place where the peace of Christ governs all the time. Like I said earlier, UPC is going through a time of change. Change in the staff, Because of my upcoming departure, changing the youth ministry, many of you know that hopefully you've heard that we've hired a new youth pastor full time, our youth director, I guess is the proper term, changing the worship ministry. We're looking for a new person to lead our weekly worship and change like these. uh, It's always uncomfortable. It always creates anxiety. It makes us a little bit concerned. It creates questions and uncertainty. And Satan, who would love nothing more than to wreck local churches like ours, would love to see us distrust one another, take our eyes off our mission, make us stop volunteering and loving and reaching out to other people. And we could choose, if we so desired, to respond to these changes like the world does. Instead of showing the world what Jesus looks like. And no telling what 2019 holds for you personally. It certainly holds a lot of change for me. I haven't even thought through the many changes that I'm going to have to deal with. But what will happen this year in your family, I wonder? This time next year, will your health be the same as it is right now? You don't know. What will happen to your savings this year? Certainly have seen a a, a lot of change in the stock market in the last few weeks. And what about your children, those of you who are married with kids? Do you 
Are you, will you see their, your kids being further along spiritually than where they are right now? We don't know, do we? We don't know what the future holds. We can't read. We're not omniscient like God is. So what do we do in the midst of a time of change? Well, we do two things. Number one, we trust God. We trust our sovereign God. And we plan to be, by his grace, the people that God has called us to be. Trust God, yes. That goes without saying. Remember what we sang a few moments ago? On Christ the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support us in the whelming flood. So we trust our sovereign God who knows what is around the next corner and knows what is best. And he is working all things out for his good, our, our good and his glory. But the second thing is we plan by his grace to be the people that he has called us to be. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because this passage of scripture is a call to be different from the world. And essentially it's a call to be who we are. Earlier in this very chapter, Paul tells us who we are. He says we've been raised with Christ, verse 1. He says we've died with Christ, verse 3. He goes on to say in verse 9 that we've put off our old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so when he gets to our verse, verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on like a suit of clothes what God has already hung up in your closet. Wake up every morning and choose by his grace to be and to do the things that display your new identity in Jesus Christ. So let's flesh that out for a few minutes. What kind of people do we need to be? Three things I want to bring to you this morning. They all start with G, so it's easy to remember. God calls us to be a gracious people, a genuine people, and a grateful people. Let's start with that first one. In the new year, let's be a gracious people. Look again once more at verses 12 and 13. It says in verse 12, to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. It's been a crazy week in my, in my home. Uh, for Christmas, all of my kids and grandkids came. My stepmother came. My wife's mother came. We had, at one point, 22 different people in our home. It's not a huge family room. From the age of two up through 94. Uh, my wife and I are 64, so, you know, we're the... We're the matriarch and patriarch, I guess, of this growing family we've got, 11 grandchildren. We had them all here. Praise the Lord. We love them all. But I tell you, ah, later on this morning, many of them will be here. If you see a group of people who are looking wild-eyed and bewildered and haggard and tired, that's probably my family. It's certainly the way I'm feeling. I've caught a cold, you can tell probably from my voice from one or two or more of those children. Oh, I didn't even tell you we had two dogs along with those 22 people. 
One, an 80-pound Great Dane. I've already decided to make a policy. No more dogs. Come see us. Don't bring your dog. But it's been a week-long picture of the church. Diverse people living together, trying to live together, loving one another in harmony and peace. Notice how honest Paul is here in this passage. He assumes there's going to be conflict. It sort of undergirds the whole passage. He's saying in this passage that you're going to have to put up with each other at times. You're probably going to have a complaint. He uses that word against somebody else in the church. You're going to differ with each other. You're going to have different political persuasions, different theological views, different tastes in music. Some of you probably don't like the music that we have here on Sunday morning. That's to be expected. We're a different, a very diverse group of people. But the basis of our unity is not agreement. That's the mystery and magic of the church of Jesus Christ. The mystery or the basis of our unity is Christ himself. That's why we don't have to be unanimous about everything We can belong to different political parties. We can take different sides on baptism and other issues. We can choose to educate our children in different ways and still come together day in and day out to love and worship and serve and learn learn and disciple one another. Why? Why? Why can we do that? Well, the truth is because we're all the same in terms of we're all sinners. We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, but God has given to us all grace grace we have that in common and because we've received grace from God we can give grace to each other Paul says in verse 13 as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive the root word of forgive in that passage is the Greek word charis which means grace and so we've received his grace let's Give it out to one another. To forgive another person. What does that mean? It means to cancel their debt. It means to take them off the hook. To let them go. To forgive means to say to somebody else, you're safe with me. I will not expect payment from you. I will not even the score. See, that's what God did for us. He forgave your sins. He canceled your debt that you owed him and paid it himself by dying on the cross. Now go, says Paul, says God, and do likewise. Those things in verse 12 that I read, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, those things are in very short supply out there. I'm sure you, as I did, experienced that shopping and going to the Waterford Town Center and standing in line at Walmart. But they need to be in abundant supply in the church. God says, let grace overflow in your life. Toward your spouse, toward your children, toward your parents, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. Be a specimen of God's handiwork in a needy world. So let's be a, first of all, gracious people. Secondly, the second thing I see Paul teaching us here is to be a genuine people. And by that I mean honest or real. Be a real people. Be, a, be an honest 
people. Look at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and, here's the key word, admonishing each other in all wisdom. See, that verse calls us to be real with one another, to be a people of humble truthfulness. Humble truthfulness. You know, what often goes on in churches and in most organizations is submerged conflict. It's submerged because people avoid each other many times or they avoid sensitive subjects. They don't look each other in the eye. They speak negatively of others behind their back. They pretend that all is well when it really isn't. See, that's not the gospel. That's not the Christian way and that's not the UPC way that I've come to appreciate. If the word of Christ, you see, has taken up residence in our hearts, it will enable us to speak directly to people with whom we have a disagreement and work things out with honesty and mutual respectfulness. The word admonish in verse 16, it can mean warn or caution or reprove or advise. See, we're to be doing that with one another all the time. When necessary, warning somebody of something we see that they're toying with. At times, advising our brothers and sisters as to what we think they should do next. At times, it means cautioning people and even reproving people when we see them going off in a different way. So, brothers and sisters, if we have a problem with somebody or a concern about someone, the Bible says you go to him or go to her and speak what's on your heart. You don't hope it'll go away. You don't let it simmer and fester. You don't talk about the person behind their back. You take it to the person that you're mad at or that you're concerned about. I'm involved right now, and as a matter of fact, in a situation in our presbytery that might have been totally avoided had people simply been willing to be genuine with each other. And now it's grown and grown and grown and I'm on a committee that's trying to deal with it. Ephesians 4.15 says to speak the truth with love. So, bring it home. As UPC goes through these changes this, this year, as I go through and my wife and I go through these changes together this year, We're bound to have questions and bound to have opinions and bound to want to make suggestions. Don't hide those things. Don't suppress those. Let your thoughts be known. Talk to each other. Talk to your elders and your pastors. Listen to what other people are saying. And if we are lovingly honest with one another, we'll get through this time of change unified. So let's be gracious, number one. Let's be genuine, number two. And third and finally, this passage calls us to be a grateful people. A grateful people. Three times in this passage, Paul says to be grateful. Did you notice that? Verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know about George Bailey, right? You know George Bailey? How many of you have watched It's a Wonderful Life this Christmas season? Yeah, many of us have. George Bailey, if you haven't seen that movie, 
is this humble, small-town banker who's always looking out for other people. But he meets crisis after crisis, and finally he decides that life is not worth living. He says, the world would be a lot better off if I had never been born. So you know the story. His guardian angel, Clarence, lets George see what would have been different if he had never been born. Bedford Falls had become Pottersville, a sleazy town filled with shame and sadness. His wife lived alone and sad. His kids never even existed. His brother died because George wasn't around to save him. And George can't stand it. After seeing what life would have been like if he'd never been born, he begs Clarence to let him live again. And his heart becomes transformed with gratitude and joy. He becomes a thankful person. And he runs through the town. You've seen that wonderful scene. He's running through Bedford Falls, yelling at the top of his voice, Merry Christmas, movie house. Merry Christmas, emporium. Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan. See, sometimes it's when you realize what might have been that you become grateful for what is. It's a real thing, the George Bailey effect. Some researchers did a a research project about it one time. They got two groups of married couples together, and they told the two groups to write stories. One group, they asked to write a story about how they met their spouse. And the other group, they asked them to write a story about how they might never have met their spouse. Like in my case, I would have never met Susie had we gone to different colleges. So the two groups write these stories. One group, how I met my wife or how I met my husband. The other group, how I might never have met my spouse. Well, when the two groups had finally written their stories, the researchers brought them back in and asked them to report how happy they were in their marriage. The result? The couples who told about the ways that they might not have ended up with their spouse reported being much more happy with their relationship than the folks who simply wrote about how they had met their spouse. See, they were more grateful for and more in love with their spouse because they considered what life would be like without them. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And Paul says, be thankful. Thankful for what? Everything. For your family and your friends. For whatever measure of health you've been given. For prayers answered and prayers not answered. For gifts given and gifts taken away. Thankful for what you have. Thankful for what you don't have. Thankful for UPC and what God has done here in this place for the last 28 years or so. And thankful, of course, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Think of life without such things. And it will help you become more of a grateful person. Think of life without Jesus, if you can. What if Jesus had never been born? Never born in the manger of Bethlehem. What if Jesus hadn't come? 
if he hadn't lived a sinless life or died on the cross or risen again, think of it. You'd still be in your sins today. You'd be without God and without hope in the world. The best you could do would be to try to get pleasure out of the fleeting pleasures of this world. And when you die, you'd experience banishment from the presence of God forever. What uh, Randy Alcorn calls a place of ongoing suffering coupled with eternal boredom. Think of that. Think if Jesus had never reached out to you with his redeeming love and grace. Think if he'd never forgiven you, never adopted you into the family of God, never listened to your prayers or given you his spirit. What if you were not one of, says in verse 12, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved? It's painful, isn't it? To think of not. Having those wonderful things. But thinking of it that way will help you grow in gratitude for what you have in Jesus Christ. See, friends, if you and I can just get a little bigger glimpse of the good news that we've been chosen by the God of creation. That he has made us holy in Christ. That he has loved us with an everlasting love. Do you understand how transforming that would be for you, for your loved ones, and for our church family Do you see what a blessing we would be to East Orlando if we as a body simply remembered who we are and lived that way intentionally each and every day? The church is supposed to be, like I said earlier, like Central Park, a new kind of community. The one place on earth that people could go to to see a specimen of God's handiwork. So let's do the two things I mentioned earlier. Number one, trust in a sovereign God as we go through these times of change and be a gracious, genuine, and grateful people by his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for treating us with such grace and patience. When I look at my life and how utterly unpredictable I am and how often unspiritual I am, I am amazed that I continue to be your son in whom you take great delight. And we together are the objects of your affection. Lord, it is so wonderful to think of that. Help us be real, to be genuine, to speak the truth in love when we have something that we think would be helpful to tell to someone else. And Father, thank you for all of the blessings you've given. Spirit of God, remind us please, to live in a constant state of gratitude. Help us to be who we are, to put on the behaviors and the attitudes that are in line with our true identity in Christ. And we will praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.